in this episode of Board Game Impact, the spice must flow as we talk about Dune Imperium. Welcome back to another episode of Board Game Impact. As always, I am Bruce, and I'm joined by... And this is Josh. Yeah. Um, well, Josh, they say that fear is the mind killer, but so far getting started uh, is throwing me off. I think it's just because we're very excited about this game and to talk about it because I know you and I both had some anticipation with it. But before we get into that, if this is your first episode of Board Game Impact, what you're here for is uh, we look at games through educational lenses. We both work full-time in higher education, and we apply those lenses to unpack games and gaming experiences for you and your group's benefit. So uh, by listening to this, there's going to be a deep dive into Dune Imperium. And so, uh, Josh, what do you kind of want to say to kick us off a little bit? Yeah, Bruce, I was very excited about this game. Uh, definitely had my acquisition disorder uh, <laughs> all abuzz. Um, so love the Dune franchise. Um, very excited to see this movie when it finally comes out. Please, um, yes. Eventually, oh my God. at some point. Um, but, you know, I... I Fell in love. I, I actually came late to the Dune party. Uh, I, I kind of picked up the books probably about two or three years ago, um, and just absolutely fell in love because it's a phenomenal um, series, uh, especially the first book, um, the the main book, Dune. Um, for listeners who aren't really aware, Dune Imperium is set in the IP of the Dune universe, uh, a series of novels by Frank Herbert. Uh, sci-fi um political intrigue drama type uh series uh, that is absolutely fantastic um so very very excited to to play this um really excited to talk about it and, and give some thoughts yeah and so uh dune imperium is made by designed by paul denon and it was put out by direwolf um who you might know for um, doing some pretty great things over with um, some digital ab- adaptations. So they just did the digital adaptations of Root. Um, but also, this is the team that brought Clank together. Um, so there's a little bit of deck building in this, some really cool things. And Josh was saying a little bit about his positionality. So like our lenses that are getting applied to this. I was later to the Dune thing too. I honestly picked up a copy of Dune at my local like half price books for like five bucks two years ago because I'm like, I need to read this. And then when I found out the movie was coming out and was like blown away by the trailer, I was like, I need to read this. And so I read the book and then a month before the movie was supposed to come out, Movie comes out next year. Um, so I'm a little caught up um, now. But honestly, back in the day, Josh, um, before I ever really knew what Dune was, things like that, I was really into the real-time strategy games and like Command and Conquer, right? Um, or Red Alert. But I also really liked Dune 2000, um, which was based on the Dune universe and these different houses vying for control. Did you ever play that? I did not. It's pretty cool. It's like exactly like uh, Command and Conquer and things like that, where you have your factions, you build the buildings, and then you're trying to go out, which later evolved into things like StarCraft, which took the world by storm. But yeah, these things were first. StarCraft. Huh. Just put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Did not, uh, never, never played uh, any of that. So, okay. 
look that up. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now the graphics today's standard not that great but sure. <laughs> if you like the lore of dune and sandworms i knew what a sandworm was i knew all that kinds of stuff back then um and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna really just jump into this um and kind of just talk about what what we've been able to see what's been happening we've got some prompts uh, but with that let's give you a quick overview of the game so overview i've already mentioned a couple times and josh mentioned this is based on the dune universe now one thing that i found interesting josh about the way frank herbert wrote was that there was all of these things behind the scenes so like these economies and these politics but the way it was written it was never written where it was telling you explicitly what it was what you had to do is you filled in the gaps, which essentially created these really cool storytelling and vivid imagery in your own head because you got to create an image for it, right? Um, and unpack it and learn it as you were reading, which is cool. Um, I think that's part of what has made it stand out so much is it didn't just spoon feed the reader. It, it gave you little tastes and treats, and then you put this immense world together in your own head. And so this game is inspired by not only the first book, but um, they pulled in from the series. So there's actually a designer diaries that you can go read. There's like four different website links that have all of those that you can read through their process and how they were adapting this and then also working with this movie that was coming out from Legendary um, to put all this together. So not all of this is in the first book, full transparency. Some of this is in some of the later books um, or they take things from inspiration from later books. But what you're going to be doing is if you've ever played Clank, it's going to work a little bit like that, where you're going to have a hand of cards, a little, small little deck of cards of 10 to start. And what you're going to do is you're going to start with five cards. And you're going to play a card. And on those cards, they've got little symbols like a blue triangle or an orange, uh, orange circle, things like that. And that is associated with different spots on the actual planet of Arrakis, better known as Dune. Um, as well as there might be some other symbols, like symbols for the different factions, so the Bene Gesserit or the Spacing Guild or the Emperor. So essentially the card has these little symbols on it. And so what you can do is you can play a card and then take one of your workers, you get two to start the game, and you can play it to one of the places of that symbol on the card you just played. And then you get to do the thing of that space. Now, uh, there's really three main sources of economy within this. There's money, there's spice, and there's water um, that you're going to be trying to balance. So some spaces will want money, some spaces will want spice, um, some spaces will want water, or they'll let you convert between them. Um, and so that's really cool. And so you're needing to balance, like, do I have the card, the cards for where I want to play right now? Or how do I make a strategy based on the five cards I have? And I remember five cards, but you have two workers. And so what's really important there is you're only going to really play in the beginning of the game, two workers. And then you have what's called the reveal phase. Now you can reveal at the very start of your turn, like the first time you're playing a card, you can instead do this reveal where you lay out all five cards you have or however many cards you have left in your hand. And there's a second half to that card that is only for the reveal phase. And so what happens with that is you then you are kind of out for the round, but you might get some resources. You might get to deploy some troops to this little combat area. And what you're trying to do is the game's going to end uh, in the round where someone has 10 or more points or the game will end the round where this little combat deck that you will seed, it's only like 10 cards, um, 
that you will seed with level three, two, and then one easier and then harder combats on the bottom um, for the, the group. So it's either going to end when somebody has 10 or more victory points or that combat deck runs out. Now, that means every time you're getting a victory point, that's one-tenth of the whole thing. So getting victory points is like a huge deal in this game uh, because you're going to fight tooth and nail to have them. Uh, but it's pretty cool. So you can choose to have alliances with some of the different factions. You can uh, choose to focus in on certain things. And you're going to be playing as one of the factions within Dune. So um, one of the leaders, may it be House Atreides, may it be um, House Raban, and there's House Ritchie, or um, House Arconan. And so there's eight total characters, so two from each house, and you'll get dealt a hand of two cards, and you get to pick one of those two leaders that you want to start the game with. Each leader has their own special little ability that you get to activate with one of your 10 starting cards. And so throughout the game, you're going to get more cards to then make your deck better or streamlined how you want it. Um, and then you're hopefully going to build your strategy based on the deck, the cards that you're getting, and then also the actions you want to take on the board to hopefully have your house reign supreme. Josh, I kind of just threw a lot of things at everybody. So what kind of things stand out to you that you want to clarify or really lean into to start this off? Yeah. So a couple of things I did want to just kind of clarify, um, as you were talking through, uh, is some of the language around yeah. the different, uh, things on the board. And so, um, you kind of made, made the correction there at some point, but really you are playing as the leader of a house. Um, one of the four noble houses, within the empire of of the uh space uh empire universe. That, yeah the universe thank you um one of the the four leading houses within this universe uh and you are vying for control over arrakis dune the planet which is represented on the board uh, on a big board um so while it is very largely driven by deck building and hand management there's also a very heavy worker placement component to this so those two kind of it's the blending of those two major mechanics that that really kind of gives this game its unique feel uh and and really kind of the melding of those mechanics with the narrative like right Mm -hmm. the lore in the universe that you're playing in and so what you're looking at on the board is you have the actual planet of Arrakis where you can send your workers out to collect spice, which is a one of the resources Bruce talked about, or to collect water, which is an incredibly rare and valuable resource because Dune is a desert planet. Uh, and so you're sending your workers out to the planet or around the planet, you see these other factions, right? So separate from your houses that you are leading, uh, you have these factions that you are vying for influence over. Uh, and those uh, factions include the Fremen, uh, the the natives of Dune, uh, the Bene Gesserit, which are like the um, mystic witches mm-hmm. uh, of this universe. Uh, you have the... Spacing Guild, which is a a group of folks who use spice to travel uh, and and traverse the universe through the creation of these wormholes. If you don't know what, if you don't understand Dune, it it sounds like a whole bunch of nonsense. But it, it, Bruce kind of brought this up is that, you know, 
Frank Herbert really built this excellent universe that, that this game, I think, takes really good advantage of. And then the fourth faction that you're working with is is the emperor himself. Um, and so you're also vying for control over the emperor. So, yeah, you're like like Bruce said, you're you're taking those actions. One of the things I personally love in this game is the. Tactical decisions that you're making on mm-hmm. each round, right, in that you have these cards that are dual use but you have to choose which way you're using them. Either you're using them as a using it to gain influence to, to send your workers out to these action spaces, or you're keeping it in your hand for that reveal phase. Cause once you play it to use it, to place your worker, you no longer get that reveal benefit. And so that's something that I think, yeah. really and, and i'll just kind of show my hands here a little bit i think that really <laughs> makes this game shine is that tactical decision in the moment man i really need to send my worker to take this action in order for me to build my engine further but i also really need the benefit that this reveal is going to show me so i can buy more cards and get more resources and take more actions and Mm -hmm. build my engine that way. Yeah. And so a counter narrative to that, Josh, uh, but from a different lens of the cool thing, one of the cool things I like about this that I've seen. So I've seen some reviewers and I've talked to some reviewers out there asking to clarify how they played it and where, because some of the things I've heard, I'm like, that doesn't sound like the experience I was having. And so once I asked them about it, so yes, you can engage with the content creators you like. Please feel free to send us messages. We'd be happy to answer questions or clarify things. Um, They're like, oh, well, I played it on Tabletop Simulator. Now, what I have found personally is this game has, because you know what cards other people bought, you know the powers on some of the cooler cards they have. And so when you're sitting around the table and you know that they could do a reveal or they could place a worker, you're kind of having this like poker stare down moment of like when you're trying to take your turn of like, do I think they're going, do I think they have that card in their hand? Ooh, are they going to take the spot I need them to take that I need them to not take because I need to take it or do I want to do my reveal so I can do the thing? And I don't feel like that is translated well to the tabletop simulator world from games I have watched on tabletop simulator. And I love that fact of this, of like balancing when I get my hand of cards at the start of the round, what do I want to do with them? How am I going to let the interplay with the other players interact with that? But then also, hmm, trying to socially predict whether or not they may have gotten that card that I know is super powerful that I might need to plan for um, is a really cool thing that I haven't really seen in other games before this like poker stare down mechanic, except for in a game like the mind where you're trying to cue in on the signs your the people around you are giving off to the world. So that way, hopefully you can make the right decisions. And I'm, I'm curious, Josh, like, what do you think on that? Yeah, you know, I I didn't really I yes, to a certain extent you kind of have that I, I, I got that feeling. Now I have only had a chance to play this once. Um and and so I'll put that caveat out there. But I wasn't really paying super close attention to what my opponents were taking into mm. their deck beyond like, oh, I really wanted that card. Right. Okay. Outside of those situations, I wasn't super cognizant of what 
my opponents were capable of in their deck. I think with more playthroughs, you're absolutely right. You would just become more attuned to that. Uh, I also, I, I think this is an important note for me to point out, is that I played this game at a four-player count. Okay. Bruce, it sounds like you've played this mostly at a two-player count. Mostly right? two-player yeah, two with then the built-in like ghost player. Yeah. So so I think with that you're you're able, right, a little bit yes. more able to keep track of oh, what does my opponent's deck consist of? Whereas with four players it just becomes a lot to really kind of mind map out as you kind of try and track all of those things. The thing that I think that that pokerish aspect that I think really comes through even in a four player is really in this combat zone. And we didn't really talk a whole lot about this. But at the end of each round, there's going to be a combat. And the way combat works in this game is you have a bunch of cubes. And on your turn, actions that you can take will include deploying troops onto your, your into your barracks. Uh, and so when you place them into your barracks, you're placing them onto the planet, but you're not committing them to the battle. However, each time you commit troops to your barracks, you have the opportunity to commit a certain number of troops into battle. I think it's three each no, time. That do. number plus up to two. Up to two. Okay, so yeah. whatever, So let's say it lets you put four cubes to your garrison. Then you mm-hmm. can move up to six into the battle. Yeah. Uh, and so once you commit cubes to battle, um, your cubes are going away, right? They're, once they're in the battle, that is the only battle they'll be used for. At the end of the round, whoever has the most cubes committed to the battle will win. Uh, whoever has the second most will take second. Third most will take third. And that is important because there are tiered rewards for each battle. Uh, and so first player may... or for, the the winner of the battle may end up with a really really great benefit they could even take a victory point which as bruce mentioned that's huge in this game uh any any time you can get claim a victory point that's that's pretty huge so or, or but but the second player is still going to get some type of reward some type of benefit out of that uh which i find really really nice really interesting because you're committing these cubes and, and it's hard to lose that and get nothing. So you at least get some kickback for it. Except it's the number of players minus one. So if it's a two player game, only one person's going to get that reward and a three player, it's going to be only the top, the first two people. Yeah. Yeah. And real quick note is that on some of those reveals, beside one of some of the powers are to bolster up the troops in a space or the strength, mm-hmm. the combat strength. And so that reveal, if you're holding those cards back, you can do a reveal and like knock your opponent off their socks. And that's actually what my wife did to me. She kicked my tail. Um, well, and this is where <laughs> this is where I was. The point I was getting to with the pokerish aspect is the those intrigue cards. Yes, uh, that you can. So there is a deck of cards. They're called intrigue cards, um, and and they're just a, a new another resource, right? You can use them to modify your play in some way. Uh, but one of the really nice ways that you can do that is during a battle, you can reveal to wipe out your opponent's cubes before mm-hmm. the battle 
can begins mm -hmm. uh, and so they just lose or you can add seven attack to your uh, a seven strength to your combat and so you know you can you can play that kind of you're, you're sitting across the table from from this person and you see oh if i play this card i'm going to end up with two more power than them but they have that intrigue card sitting there and i know that intrigue card could be like four more power so is it worth it for me to to commit my troops in this or do i hold back and, and use those troops in the next battle and hope to win the next battle and so i think that's really a, a really fun interesting kind of social dynamic in this game that that really i think at, at, to your point bruce shines in an in-person setting versus yes. in an online setting i agree and then there's in case you're curious like no you can't really hoard these because if you have four or more of these people can start stealing them from you um so just to put that out there for those little entry cards um speaking of things um and like that interplay and things like that so what i'm really trying to convey is this game is a lot about making good decisions at right times and figuring out this is what the resources you have and the, uh, the places you can go. How can you personally maximize that to make your leader more successful? And honestly, I know there's been some, there has been some like controversy about this a little bit, like not a controversy, but like, Oh, it's a game that has too much variability of, uh, what about if I don't get the perfect hand of cards? That's not how life works. Um, and I understand wanting to have like a fixed system, but this is actually replicating what's in the books of sometimes when you're on a desert planet and it's just gritty and rough and you've got these competing factions, sometimes you're, you only have limited information. And in the books, they definitely do have that. They only have like limited information and they're trying to cultivate whatever kind of relationships with other powers they can. How do they use the limited number of troops they have on a planet versus on their home planet way back wherever that is. And so actually I thought that this, here's your hand of cards. You need to figure out your strategy and you, but you can add into it and hopefully hone that over getting new cards and building or, or streamlining your deck by getting rid of some cards or intentionally getting some intrigue cards. I thought that that was pretty cool in bringing out this like political, how do you leverage your resources to make, to meet your ends, right? Um, given the situation. So I thought that was a pretty cool player dynamic that it brought out. Absolutely. And, and Bruce, I think one of the things that we're talking about here, one is, I, I agree. I think, I mean, the name of this game to me is action efficiency, mm -hmm. right? What can, how can I best improve my standings with what is given to me? How can I act the most efficient with the, the limited resources that I have? Because at no point in this game would I say you feel like you've got it, right? right. I, You're I think struggling. Every at, at every move you are fighting tooth and nail to get that one more spice that you need, or, you know, I just need one more water and I'd be able to dump all of my troops and right. You're just constantly clawing and it feels like you are. I mean, if you are familiar with mm -hmm. the, the IP that we're dealing with here, it, it, it very much to me evokes that feeling of, 
being in this long drawn out conflict that spans generations over this really harsh climate to the of of a world just really kind of evocative mm-hmm. but I think the the separation here, and, and this is a conversation that I think we could have more in depth, but I've been hearing come up more and more recently, is this difference between strategy and tactics. I literally was just about to bring that up. Yep. yep. And, and so, right, I, I think for for a lot of gamers, myself included, in a lot of ways, I seek out games where... I can develop on turn one. This is my strategy. I'm going to stick with this strategy from turn one until the end of the game. And I'm going to run this strategy into the ground and see how it does for me. And so I know pretty much every turn, right, with mm-hmm. minor changes and tweaks and variances here and there, I know what I'm aiming to do each round. This game is not like that. You really can't prep i mean you can try and build your deck to achieve those ends but you're gonna get a bad draw from time to time yep and so at that moment it's all about the tactical decision right you're switching your strategy from the long-term view to the immediate how do i get myself out of this situation that i'm in and set myself up for the next turn. Because yep. you may have a round of actions in this where you just don't really feel like you accomplished a whole lot. But if you gained a couple, you know, a, a, a little bit of money, uh, if you gained a little bit of spice, a little bit of water, you've gathered some resources, you haven't really taken any earth shattering actions here, you know that those big things are coming because they're mm-hmm. they're in your deck and they're going to be coming to you next turn or you know in two turns maybe and so you're just it's just about using what you have to set yourself up for that huge you know i'm going to dump seven troops out onto the board and i'm going to advance three spaces in the Bini Gesserit track and claim a victory point there right like it it I really like that in this game. Yeah, I do too. And I love the fact that you and I were essentially like, I literally have a Google Chrome tab open in front of me. That's strategy versus tactics to explain this. Um, (laughs) And so when I think of just from like our education lens, Josh, and like some of the leadership consulting work I do, right? So when we are working with organizations or, or people and we're a leader, like there's this thing called grit versus resilience. And, so I've heard people on different like media content creators for games talk about, Ugh, I just had this like bad hand. I just need to get through it. That'd be grit. What Josh and I are suggesting is resilience. And that is how can I utilize the network I've already built up and the skill sets I already have. And you know what? Take some steps forward. They might be forward and to the left a little bit and I need to recalibrate but at least I'm moving forward and setting myself up to have these like big windfall moments. I'm still pushing through, but I'm going to come out of this turn better than where I started. And, and, and looking at it from that approach, I think is really important. So when I think of the book and I have the, well, the book and then also the game. So the cover of the rule book is this person on these like sand dunes uh, with this like giant worm coming out. 
And if you haven't read or watched the well, if you haven't watched like the old nineteen eighties movie, nineteen seventies movie, don't just wait for the new one. Um, but if you haven't oh, read Bruce. the <laughs> well, like Josh, I struggled to get through that. Uh, that's why I didn't even mention it earlier. Um, but the new one, I'm looking forward to it. But imagine you uh, you have this dream of like having having a prosperous life. And all of a sudden you wake up and find yourself in the middle of the desert with like a canteen of water that has like barely any water in it. And you can't see land. It's just, well, you're on land, but you can't see any like civilization. It's just you in the middle of a desert. And so now it's, it's going to get hot. It's the morning, like beginning of the day. What are you going to do to survive? Right? So the strategy would be, I want to get myself to civilization and thrive. Well, you're not there this, at this current moment. What can you do to make the most of this to help get yourself more water, to help get yourself some shelter, to help get yourself some money, right? Or in this case, also spice to then when you get to civilization, you're not going to have to try and build up an engine all of a sudden, but you're going to come in there a little better because you did some things. Sorry, I know that was long. No, absolutely. I, I think that's, I, I mean, it is a very important, I think, concept to to understand because i i definitely think there are gamers out there for whom this this will fall flat for that reason right agreed um if you are looking for a game where you constantly feel like every turn is an and it is an improvement upon the last the the variability of your deck and the fact that i mean max at most, you're getting 10 turns in this game. Or 10, 10 rounds, rounds, I guess. 10, 10 rounds. rounds, yeah. You can um, range but between... 10, but 10 hands, right? Yeah. You're, you're drawing 10 hands uh, of cards. And you're maybe purchasing, at most, two cards on average. Usually, you're, you're going to get one, maybe two cards out of a, a buy. I'd maybe get, go to three, because you might be able yeah. to get the folded space card elsewise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe you, two yeah. to three, max. Two to three, max. Around. Um, and, and so, if you consider you start with a deck of ten cards, you're drawing five cards each round, you're adding two maybe three cards to that deck each round you're probably discarding a couple cards at least two get two cards throughout the game maybe and and there's some spots on the board that let you draw more cards to your hand during the round yeah so your your deck you're gonna have you're gonna come into those starting cards a lot right And, and those aren't your most valuable cards so as you are kind of playing and and going cycling through this deck you're gonna get stuck with turns where you just don't have the cards to do everything you need mm-hmm. or, or everything you want to do um and, and so if if that's something that you know doesn't feel good to you to me like i said i really enjoy forcing my mind to think about here's what I have in front of me. What is the best I can do with, with what I have here? Yeah. Um, but I, I also recognize that that's not a style of thinking everyone loves. Yeah. And there's another thing too, that I think is important to say. So there's, 
in those factions, so the Bene Gesserit, the Emperor, etc., um, there's what I would consider short-term, short-term goals. Because mm-hmm. once you get past like the second level of those, you usually get a victory point on all those tracks. And so I had a bunch of those because I'm like, I'm going to go like heavy in all the factions from the beginning of the game. And so I skyrocketed up relatively with points. And my wife was like, oh, you're going to win. This is the game where I was teaching her, the first one we were playing. And I'm like, we don't know. There's still several rounds, but I was feeling bad. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm going to blow her out of the water. And because I was like up by four points, right? Well, she had picked like maybe one of those factions to grow with. But she'd been buying cards. She'd been spending doing her time on the planet, essentially, where I was really focused on these different factions. Josh, she also got some of those like intrigue cards. She came back and freaking skyrocketed and because she had built an infrastructure and she was doing her time waiting for it to pay off. And so the thing that I also want to bring up about this is depending on how you play, you're going to have, you might get a lot of points fast or then you're going to do a slow burn after that or it's a slow burn and then points or you have hands where it's just not as powerful as the hand that you're imagining. But what I actually liked about that is that it created memory moments. So that time where you got that hand that was like, heck yeah, I've been building for this, I finally got it, or um, you're able to see your plans play out, or all those kind of things kind of come together, and like that stands out vividly for me uh, when I'm looking back at these experiences I've been able to have because I think it's designed for it. So, I, I mean, I agree 100% with you on that, Bruce. I think... It- this definitely is a game that is is built for those memories, right? I I can have these very distinct memories of like that time that I dumped a whole bunch of resources into combat only to have an opponent flip an entry card at the last <laughs> minute um, and, and, and steal that victory away from me and, and just having that evocative kind of gut check of, mm-hmm. oh, I walked myself into this trap because that's what it, like right it it felt like that right it felt like i walked into an ambush yep um with with my units um so so i really really enjoy that 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 framing of this game in terms of the way in which it creates memories the way in which its story unfolds yeah um i I think another component to that and something i want to touch on here just briefly is the components yes Um, i think that's important the table presence of this game comes with it. Um, one of the really cool what things about this game is that the, in addition to being, you know, designed and published by Direwolf, uh, it's also published in tandem with Legendary, the film company that is producing the movie of Dune. Uh, and so all of the artwork is actually concept art from the film and so it's kind of cool you actually have raban uh one of the characters that you can play as you look at it and you're like that looks a lot like batista Um, (laughs) and it is it's it is a concept artwork of batista in the role of raban Mm -hmm. which which i just found really really like the fact that it's not just 
picture, like still frames of the movie. I think I would have hated that. That would have been awful, right? Yeah. But but they did it in this artistic stylizing where you can see these characters that that you recognize even if you haven't seen the film but you recognize them as their characters and you recognize them as the actors and it just kind of helps with that storytelling a little bit in my mind Mm -hmm. um you know as you pick up these cards that are different characters that will show up in the books and it may not be exactly what my headcanon was but because of just the way that, you know, in general, the way that casting in Hollywood works, like even yeah. if it's not a one-to-one ratio of exactly how I pictured it, the second they cast that character, it almost morphs the the description into that person mm-hmm. because Hollywood is just good at, at, at casting at this point, right? And so you you get that feeling of, of of these being real people in this world that you're playing in. Agreed. And that also extends to like all the other cards of like concept art. And if you've ever watched The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, which I love that, um, go baby Yoda. Um, but one of my favorite things about The Mandalorian isn't actually take place during the show. It takes the credits with these concept stills of art at the end. I just love seeing that. Um, cause it's really, really evocative and cool. Um, but something I will just make note of since you talked about Hollywood casting, Josh, and that mm-hmm. is because they did it this way and didn't just stick to the books as written. This game is actually more representative than the books are. So they, for the movie, the new movie, they recast some characters as female. So it's not just all white guys, um, but they have more representation because in the game, because that is what Hollywood decided to go with. They're like, no, this needs to be more inclusive. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, I also appreciated that, which they don't talk about in the books and stuff, um, at least in like the rule book and everything. But just as a side note, like some of the characters in the game were male in the books. Um, and so just know that they wanted to make a more inclusive society and representation, um, which that matters. Um, there's power in that and, and it's very important, um, which I thought that's kind of cool. Now, speaking of table presence, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about the add-on box that you could have gotten um, for that's coming out like next month. Um, I think it's coming out in March. Uh, so this episode's coming out the middle of February. Um, but I think in March it's coming out, and that is if you want to. So those little cubes we were talking about before are cubes. It's just a little cube in your player color. If you want that to be a little like soldier person in your player color, you can buy this add-on box. Now, personally, am I fine with the cubes? I am. But I know that like miniatures to represent things is like a super thing for people. And so if that, if you are wanting to have these miniatures all over your board and things like that, and you want a sandworm, um, like first player token, you can get that. Um, so, which is not something that a lot of games do. They, it's like, here's the game. It's either got all these minis or it doesn't have all these minis. Rarely do we find a game that it's really good as it is, but if you want to add on minis, you can. 
Um, so I thought that was a nice design choice. Obviously, miniatures might make somebody come more over to the table because it's going to stand up in a 3D way rather than a flat board with some cubes. But the art on this board, I honestly found for myself enough to draw me in. Yeah, I, I mean, the minis look nice. They look cool. Um, I personally don't think I will be picking up the upgrade box. Um, I, I just, I enjoy it as is. Um, yeah, I, me too. I really do. Um, you know, yes, you could. I, I mean, the one knock I think you could give on this game is the the cubes as your as your units. Yeah. Um, in terms of evocativeness, right? In, in terms of the feeling that you get, because it it very much does feel like that combat piece does feel a little bit just like cube pushing. Sure. Um, so, so I, I, I could see why having a, a figure that, that is more evocative in that sense, that looks more like a, you know, a, a combat piece, a, a combat figure would, would feel a little bit different as you're dropping your troops onto the board and, and then sending them out into the combat zone. But, it doesn't i don't need that to enjoy this game personally i i really really i i we're kind of yeah. getting a little bit into final review thoughts here but i really love this game i i think it's fantastic um it checks a lot of boxes for me honestly so with that before we get into the complete final thoughts um josh i'm curious how would this fit game into like other games like would, like where would you consider it like a would you consider it a gateway would you consider it a way to introduce different mechanics is there other games that you should for, learn first before playing this that might be easier for introducing it yeah you know i would say none of the mechanics in this are so deep and complex that i think you have to be an expert gamer to play them Agreed. right i i don't think that there's nothing about this that is so heavy that you couldn't take someone who is relatively new to games and and teach them this game um, and have them be successful. That being said, I also I, I would definitely not consider this to be an entry or gateway type game. I would not use this to introduce mechanics um, because of the way that the mechanics interplay mm-hmm. deck building worker placement doesn't exist there's this and there's uh lost runes of arnak which we'll talk in a the, later episode <laughs> and, and they came out at the same time right like it, it two people had the same idea at the same time it is kind of what it feels like so so because of the way that that you really need to focus on your deck building in order to effectively utilize your workers, but you need to effectively utilize your workers in order to build a good deck. The way that those things interact with one another, I, I think you do need to introduce those concepts separate, right? So I, I think you would need someone to play a couple worker placement games just very straightforward worker placement style games which at this point in the hobby 
they they probably have, uh, right? Yeah. Because that worker placement's been around for a long time. Deck building has definitely become a thing with since Dominion. Um, personally, for me, like no, I would not consider it a gateway, except if somebody's really into Dune, right? Because um, I think that they would be willing and they could easily map things out. But if somebody is been playing hobby games i think they're gonna be fine because on your given turn you're maybe doing three to four things the whole turn right um like you're gonna place a card you're gonna play a card you're gonna take an action with putting one of your dudes there you have two up to two workers with that you have your reveal now obviously you can get little bonuses from what's on your cards and stuff like that of like your turns are not just like three things like don't get me wrong there when I say that, but what I'm saying is it's not that overly complicated, but knowing how it interacts, like Josh said, is important. Um, and so if somebody really knows Dune, they might click onto that real fast. Um, yeah. But honestly, if I had to think of games that might help, uh, if you've ever played Clank, that would help because that's similar deck building, but obviously you don't have like a little adventure board you're running down. But that whole idea of you have five cards, make the most of it. Um, is important, but it doesn't have that reveal. Um, mm-hmm. For a worker placement, if you've ever played like a Lords of Waterdeep, um, that might be helpful um, as it's got some nice things there of how do you balance what actions are available and how can you still work towards your goals, that tactics and strategy thing. Um, so before we get into our closing thoughts, Josh, I wanted mm-hmm. to share some thoughts I found on BGG. Um, just real quick. So that way we can pull in more than just our frame. And so um, the first one I have from BGG user Barry White, um, who was talking, these are these are Barry's words, but learning the game and teaching another player, this is kind of that theme, um, after a solo run through, felt like I had a good handle on most of the rules and a general flow of the game is easy to pick up. The player aid on the reverse, so the character sheets, by the way, this is Bruce, the back side of that, because if you have four players, there's eight of those, so four of them are not going to be used. The back side is the player aid. Super helpful, actually. Nice design move. But the Barry continues that the player aid on the verse was excellent. It, Barry was teaching his partner, and felt the partner felt it was very straightforward, and the partner does not nearly play as many games as Barry does and knew nothing about Dune. After a brief overview and explanation, they... Uh, they went on and went through the game. And by the second round, uh, the part, his partner had picked up the basics and was able to grok most of the iconography. So grokking is like how much you can internalize it. Um, uh, Barry went on to say alliances are pretty hard one, but can be very rewarding. But if you lean in too heavy with influence into one faction, you might expose yourself elsewise. You might create blind spots. Uh, then combat in Barry's words is really like a proxy war. Never felt like they were really rolling their troops into the opponent's door directly. Rather, that we they'd both manipulate the struggle in order to try and pull favor um, without putting too many resources at risk. So, again, keeping with the overall theme, it's kind of all proxy stuff. And overall, Barry felt delighted and that it was a great package of mechanics that's different kind of opportunities for different player counts. Um, and after first learning the game, they immediately excited to play it again, which is nice, but can't wait to sit down and play it for with fellow humans when they can. Um, This next one real quick, not as long as Barry's, um, but Aetherus Hispada, that's on BGG username, Aetherus, says they have over 50 plays of Dune Imperium, all at four four player. Two players have read Dune, and and Aetherus says that they're also new to the hobby. 
And so they've essentially have it set up on their table, by the way, just like they don't take it down. And they've been playing just like asynchronously throughout the day, which is kind of interesting. So that's how they've been able to get 50 plays in. Um, but they also have played also a little two and three player, by the way. Um, they talk, uh, Etherist talks about game replayability as it being immense in the design space. Many elements that can be you can tweak in different games so that way you're going to be having a different experience to explore something new. Um, and then after 50 games, they can't remember one being the same as another. And that the interaction of the Imperium row of like intrigue cards and conflicts and that facilitates some cool variability. But win, win or lose, any, everybody in the game has had f- fun and looked forward to the next one, either cursing a mistake that they, made have, they might have to rectify in the next game or exploring a different strategy to pull off um, the same master strokes of strategic balance. Before I read this last one, Josh, thoughts on those two? Yeah, I just want to go back, actually. To Barry? Uh, to, to Barry. Um, in terms of his comment about his partner knowing nothing about Dune, um, you know, I got a chance to play this at four players, uh, and I'm the only person in that group who, well, one person had read Dune like 30 years ago, um, right? And, and so knew, remembered almost nothing about it um, other than the general concept of it. And, and so really no one in that group knew the story of hmm. Dune, but we all very much enjoyed it. Right. I, I, I don't think that you have to be, I think, knowing Dune and knowing the story and knowing the the kind of setting that you're in really does enhance the experience in this game. But I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I think you can have a really enjoyable gameplay experience, even if you have no idea what Dune is about. Um, and I agree with with what he was uh, Barry was saying in regards to kind of teaching. Right. I didn't really do a super heavy teach on this game. Um, I kind of said, here's the basics. Here's your goal. Um, let's run through our first hand our first round. Uh, see how everyone feels. If we feel like I made some huge mistakes and I want to go back and revisit those, we can restart after that. But Great teaching. Everyone. Strategy. We, we went through that first round and everyone was like, no, I think I get this. Let's go. Um, and and it, everyone picked up on it really, really fast. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so this last one I have uh, was talking about the solo play because that's one I haven't, a space I haven't been able to play into. Um, but BGG user, I am Tyler Durden. Appreciate that one. I uh, talked about the AI bot and that the AI bot, which by the way, like kind of just takes over spots because when you play two player, you also play with an AI bot. Um, the AI bot rarely, if ever, got in the way of what Tyler Durden wanted to do. Um, that the only interaction they ever had was really in the combat zone where it was just more of a nuisance um, given the ba- fact that the bot can't win or claim rewards. It felt like both of us were being robbed of the rewards the entire game. So it's either you're robbing them or they're robbing you. Um, but overall that they enjoyed it. Um, and one note on this that I found on BGG is some people have complained that the card row can get a little stagnant. And so one user did comment that, Hey, you can introduce a house rule where at the end of every round that card row wipes if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you can see more cards in the deck. Cause sometimes you might just barely scratch the surface. And so, yeah, Josh thoughts, and then give me your final thoughts. 
Yeah. Um, haven't, haven't really felt the urge or need to, to get to a one player game of this though. Um, I, I think it would be kind of enjoyable. Um, I could definitely see that being a, a fun way to engage in this game. Certainly. Um, though I just generally as a rule of thumb prefer games that don't use an AI bot. Same. Um, so, so, you know, if that's the space that people enjoy to play in, I think that this would be, I, I could see where just trying to solve the puzzle of this game, I think that this game has an exceptional puzzle. And so I could see trying to solve that puzzle in a solo way, being an enjoyable way to experience this game as well. Um, personally, I didn't have any issue with the, with the card row having variability. Um, pretty much every round people were trying to buy as many cards as possible um, or, or at least buy one or two really powerful cards for them to help build out their deck. And when you play with a four player count that, that cycles those cards through pretty quickly. I didn't really have much concern about that though. I could certainly see that stagnating at a two or even three player count. In terms of my th- final thoughts, I, I, I've already said it. I I think this game is fantastic. Um, I really, really look forward to playing it more. Um, I really enjoy, again, I really enjoy the puzzle of this game. The fact that it is an overarching puzzle, right? I I, I, I We had that conversation about strategy and tactics. I, I don't think that this is not a strategic game. I think you do need mm-hmm. to identify your strategy early on and say, okay, I'm really going to focus on building my deck around the Bene Gesserit faction, or I'm going to really focus on working with the Fremen and conquering battles in Dune and, and taking control of the, of the board. But within that overall strategy, the ability to think on your toes and maneuver and and think tactically within a round, I, I think, is a really, really intriguing and and evocative. Um, I'm using that word a lot today. <laughs> um, really, really evocative way of melding the theme of this game with the experience that you have. Um, Absolutely. This this game is staying on my shelf uh, in my collection for a long time to come. And and I look forward to getting many, many more plays of this game in. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, Josh. And so for me, I got to echo a lot of what Josh said. Um, similar and different. And so for me, I, as someone who had just recently read the books, um, currently almost done with the second book right now at the time of this recording, um, I felt that this actually did pull out as a really cool intrigue behind the scenes because like, this is not a spoiler. This is how the first book opens and like house Harkonnen didn't care about the Fremen on the planet. And ultimately they were losing control of the planet at the beginning of the book. Now you can find out more intrigue there. There's plenty to dig into there. Um, But in this, what I also appreciate that we haven't really fully hit on is that, you can have your strategy, but those tactics make it where you also make want to like keep good with the other areas because that influence can help can come to help you when you need it. 
Um, you want to have some influence than have none. Um, it's usually better for you, but also you need to do things on the planet. And so, because that's what you're there for. You're trying to control the planet, so you need to actually use the planet. And so I thought that that was pretty cool. I thought that it did keep with the theme. Now, do I have to put those together for myself? Yes, I do. Um, it doesn't. It's not like I'm reading a storybook thing that's going to paint me that picture if I haven't read it. Now, that being said, do I think that you would enjoy this if you didn't read the books? Yeah, I do. My wife has no interest. She really enjoyed the game and, and like looks forward to playing it. Um, what I really found a lot of in, in, intrigue with um, personally for me was also this whole reveal phase and, and, and balancing and, and having to make that choice of do I want to use a card for its, its, its work or placement or do I want to use it for the reveal and constantly evaluating that from a tactical lens based on what my opponent or opponents would be doing. Because obviously I had my wife, but then I also had this AI bot. That being said, I think I am going to enjoy this game a whole lot more at what you have been able to do, Josh, and that's the four-player count. I cannot wait to play this in person with more people because I think this game is going to sing for me, and I think I'm going to have one heck of a fun time teaching it. Do I think this game is for everybody? No, I don't. I think we've talked about that variability and having to make your tactical decisions each turn, but with an overall strategy in mind, I like to think of it as... um, your goal is to get to the other side of the mountain. You might set that as your goal, but sometimes you got to go up the mountain. Sometimes you got to dig into it a little bit. And sometimes you got to go around the other way. No one's telling you how to get there. You have to kind of make those choices based on the resources you have in those moments. And I like that. But for some of you, it might be that's too much variability. It might be too much variability if you're wanting to go heavy Bene Gesserit and no Bene Gesserit cards are really coming into that market. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to our episode on the sunk cost fallacy. How much are you going to keep investing into something that's not panning out? And so I appreciated it kind of making me be strategic because, again, you're a leader who is wanting to demonstrate your competence to be a leader of a planet. And I think that this kind of, in a nutshell, kind of role models that in a light way. Um, So I can't wait to play it four players. Um, One thing I do need to make note of is every reviewer I've seen talk about this from playing it only on tabletop simulator type things or when I've been at our game nights virtually because that's how we've been having them and they've all, they've, they were playing this on tabletop simulator, something is lost. Something doesn't translate. And this is a game that sings in person. And so obviously in the current state of the world, that's not necessarily the greatest, but I can't wait for the movie to come out because I think we're going to have like a, another resurgence of this game in a couple months. And I can't wait to go see the movie. So in in closing, I really like this game. I'm very thankful I have it. Um, I think Direwolf did a great job. I also really like Clank too, right? And um, so with that, it's going to be staying in my collection for a long time. And I can't wait to get it to the table when I can more in the future. And so that is Dune Imperium. And we encourage you to go check it out. And yeah. So Josh, any quick things in closing? And then I'll round us out. Uh. As always, thanks to our listeners for joining us. I uh, hope this was informative and helpful for you all. Um, yeah, uh, we we look forward to, to hopefully hearing from you about if you played this game, let us know what your thoughts are. 
do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Um, what are your What are your thoughts and feelings on everything that we've shared and talked about today? Uh, really hope that, that folks give this game a shot. I think it, it is a little bit more difficult to find right now. Yes. Uh, so I'll put that kind of caveat out there. Uh, don't break the bank on a game that is very definitely going to get a reprint and more copies will be available at some point in the future. So um, really, really uh, thankful to to have all of you join us uh, again today. Um, yeah, that, that's all I got for you. Yep. Josh, I can't echo that enough of do not pay more than retail for this game. It's going to be coming out again. Don't worry about it because they have a giant movie release coming out. You're going to be fine. Um, and so with that, if you enjoyed this kind of this deeper dive, because we just talked about this one game for an hour um, and hopefully it's helpful. Um, hopefully you found value in this and hearing us talk out our perspectives and talk out what this brought out in our players and the different interactions. Um, and so if you enjoyed this, make sure to give this a five-star rating in the podcast platform that you're looking at um, and using. And if you want to support the show, you can go on over to patreon.com slash board game impact. Um, and we're just thankful for our Patreon supporters and to have you as a listener. Um, but we really also appreciate you sharing this with somebody. So maybe, you know, a sci-fi friend and maybe this one doesn't sound like something for you, but Hey, that sci-fi friend who's also into board games, Maybe send them this episode and tell them about the show so that way they can learn if this is something that they would like to dig into because what people are saying online is that people enjoy the solo mode. So um, if, if they're not able to play it in these interesting times, maybe they'll enjoy the sci-fi nature of this because this is a seminal work in the world of sci-fi. But that being said, we thank you so much for listening for this, to this episode and we can't wait to talk to you again in two weeks where we're going to be talking about the, more about the games we've been playing recently and it's going to be a lot of fun so definitely make sure to t- tune in for that so until next time go have your positive impact on the world